Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the Yard. Thursday was a good day for Mississippi State. It was nearly a great day. It was a good day. We're going to talk about that. We're going to break down the ball game. We're going to look at the SEC standing. State also getting some help around the country. God forbid somebody admit it, but the Big 12 is overrated. Overrated. I said it. Kendall Rogers. Aaron Fitt, everybody's scared to say it, Big 12, overrated. Would love to play a Big 12 team in a Super Regional because I think that would just pave the way for us to get to Omaha. But we're getting some help thanks to some of the cellar dwellers in the Big 12 because God forbid the Big 12 not be any good. So incredibly overrated. Nevertheless, if, and that's the thing too, you go back to the very first weekend of the season, right? The very first weekend of the season, TCU gets a ground ball from Drew McGowan that five feet either way is a game-winning RBI for Mississippi State, and then the Big 12 would have been swept in the Globe Life tournament out there, the State Farm College Baseball Showdown. People forget that. I haven't forgot. Texas Tech didn't win a game. Texas didn't win a game. TCU goes one and two and kind of gets by there late, kind of got some lucky things to happen for them late. So the Big 12 wins one game out of nine. They go one and eight out there against the SEC. Now, granted, there's some really strong teams in the West. It is. I mean, there's three teams there. They're going to host regionals more than likely. I mean, I believe Ole Miss is in. We'll talk about that a little more later. But, you know, I think that was a big win for, for Ole Miss against Georgia. Now, they could lose the next two and then go 0-1 and Hoover. And maybe that brings some question marks to it. But I think with their RPI the way that it is, I think I think the win tonight probably locked up a regional for Ole Miss. Could be 15, 16, or whatever. But I, I think they're probably in. And, uh, and I'll be honest with you, too. I mean, these, these Ole Miss people complain so much about Bianco. And listen, it has not been a great year. It's been a good year. But, you know, they've had some major injuries. And, uh, I mean, goodness, if Mike Bianco can get that group to Omaha, I mean, probably loves uh, probably deserves Coach of the Year type honors. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just kind of speaking hypothetically here. Got a cool top ten list for you today for about a band that just came out of the gate strong and then kind of fizzled. But, man, they had some big hits and some real bangers along the way. Excited about that. And i tell you this, too. And I'm, I'm, I made a mental note to share this with you guys. The more that I travel, especially this year, the more I appreciate the men and women of the Mississippi Department of Transportation. Folks, we have a great highway system here in Mississippi. Now, listen, there's some there's some state highways that need some work. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's all perfect. But our major highways in Mississippi are stellar compared to what else is, there is around the South. I, I mean it. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I mean, go over to Louisiana, everything's made of concrete. I mean, they can't even get the interstate right. I mean, riding home from, from Tuscaloosa on 82, I mean, before I got to the, the state line, I thought the Alabama Department of Transportation was going to beat me and my trusty steed up. Man, I'm just sitting there trying to ride along. I feel like I was in a fist fight. You travel up to Arkansas, and it's, it's like the whole, the whole state's under construction. Everywhere you look, it's orange barrels. They had to change the state flag to that. Even when you get up around Tennessee, I mean, my goodness, man. It's like the more I travel, the more I appreciate what we have here in Mississippi. And, yes, I am biased because I am a fiercely proud Mississippian. But to you folks at the DOT in the state of Mississippi, I don't know that you get enough credit for the job that you guys have done 
And listen, and maybe some credit's due to our state government, too, for allocating enough funds for us to keep these major highways in good shape. And again, it's not perfect, but I tell you what, it is, it is pristine compared to what else there is around the southeast. It's ridiculous, man. <laughs> it is absolutely ridiculous. And listen, I've, I've driven on a lot of two-lane highways and that sort of stuff, and thankfully I don't have to do that a whole lot in the state of Mississippi. My goodness, man. Some of these places, I mean, driving at night, you're taking your life in your hands. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. So, again, tip of the cap to the fine folks at MDOT. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate the work you do to kind of keep us safe on the highways. Speaking of good folks and people you can appreciate, Bulldog Burger Company, man. Listen, I'm going to be in there tomorrow, I guess later today, go out pick up some lunch. Excited about that. Always excited to go to Bulldog Burger Company. You should be as well. And I, I tell you, when I reach out, because about the only time that I get to see my college girls, my daughters, I say, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to go eat. Why don't you come meet me? If I just say, hey, why don't you come out to the house, let's shoot some pool or whatever, that, that doesn't get them out here. But when I say, hey, let's go eat somewhere, they do, and I always let them choose. Nine times out of ten, it's Bulldog Burger Company. That's where they want to go. They like it. They like the menu there. They like the choices there. They like the people there. They like the atmosphere there. It's right there in the Cotton District. It's easy to find. You know you're going to get full there. More times than not, too, they're going to take some food home with them. And you know when you're in college, you really appreciate leftovers, Right. Because the portions at Bulldog Burger Company are so generous. Go check them out today if you haven't already. University Drive here in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And coming soon to Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgewood. I know you guys can't wait. I know you're waiting with bated breath to get in there and have your own Bulldog Burger Company location right there in your backyard. If you're looking for employment, looking for summer employment, or just looking for you know a nice place to go work, give the folks at Bulldog Burger Company a chance to help you hiring at all three locations right here in Starkville and Tupelo and of course staff in the brand new store there in Ridgeland go check it out today you'll be glad you did all right let's get in this ball game I'll be honest with you I'm in a really good mood you may maybe you can tell I'm in a good mood I felt good today felt good about going over there for the ball game even when we were kind of struggling to put runs up I still was okay I mean of course there's that you know there's that nagging doubt you're thinking man we can't lose this ball game but I never really felt like we were in trouble. And i uh, really, really happy with Christian McLeod's performance. I tell you, I really, really expected him to have a good show, and he did. For some reason, he just pitches better on the road. He has made five road SEC starts. Five. We have won four of those five. The one we didn't win was Vanderbilt. And if you recall, the first time through the order, he struck out seven of the first nine hitters he saw. And then it all kind of came apart. But for some reason, he, he pitches his best baseball on the road. And we're going to need him to pitch pretty well in a couple of home games, hopefully here in the next couple of weeks. But it is just weird to me how well he does on the road. I even asked him about it. I said, you know, Christian, how do you explain this? He goes, I can't. I don't really know. He said, but he felt good. He had a good bullpen. He said he had a great game plan. And I really thought they executed well. The thing that really stood out to me early in this ball game is he was able to spot up that change on fastball counts and get a lot of swing and miss with it. And it, there were some times later in the ball game, even in full counts, he was getting punch outs on the changeup. He just had a lot of belief in that pitch. And when Christian can throw all three pitches for strikes, it's very difficult to beat him. Very, very, very difficult to beat him. So let's go break the game down. It's always good to talk about it when we win, right? And we can take our time and kind of savor the moment. 
So let's jump into this thing because there wasn't a lot going on early in the ballgame. So we go one, two, three in the uh, the first inning and a couple of, couple of Ks there. And we did shake the lineup up a little bit. You know, Cameron James moved down in the order. Uh, I guess he is, what, six now or fifth? You're hitting fifth uh, behind uh, Luke Hancock and Scotty Brule hitting uh, behind him. One of the things I like about that dynamic is, number one, Cam James is a guy that's willing to walk. And so he moves the order over. Scotty DeBrule is a put-it-and-play guy, so you can hit and run with him a little bit. A lot of times he'll get a base hit and move runners. And then you got Kellum Clark coming up behind him, and the way Kellum's swinging the bat, you know, you, you just never know when a ball's going to leave the yard or rattle off the wall or get find a gap somewhere. I mean, the kid is really swinging the bat well. We're starting to see some real potential. You know, kind of seeing what we hope to see this year. And as Lamona said in postgame, he's had to kind of battle through a couple things this year. But how great is it all of a sudden to be able to add a weapon like that in your order, in the bottom half of your order, this late in the year? Not a lot of tape out there on him. And he's also a guy, too, it's a great mistake hitter. And as I mentioned on the show Wednesday, when he, when he barrels everything up, he is a violent hitter. When he hits the baseball, you got to go make a play. It's, it's, rare, it's rarely ever, you know, a routine fly ball. Sometimes he'll pop it up, he'll miss hit one, or he'll hit the top half of a baseball and beat it in the ground on occasion. But more times than not, he's making good contact. And so a little adjustment in the order. I uh, think we're probably okay with that. I, 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 again, I'm still a Cam James fan. People keep, you know, saying, Steve, what do you think? I'm a Cam James fan, always have been. And uh, people forget this is his first time through the SEC. There's going to be some adjustment, and he'll be fine. Still believe in that kid. All right, so bottom of first, uh, you know, Christian comes out and gets um, you know, a couple of quick Ks, and he didn't have a lot of three-ball counts. And so throughout the ball game, and that really kept his pitch count down, that was one of the things that enabled him to go deeper in the ball game. You know, how many times have we seen him you know, kind of struggle a little bit or we make an error behind him or he walks somebody, and next thing you know, it's a 25-pitch inning. Just it didn't happen tonight. And so, as I mentioned, at the bottom of the first, you get you get a quick K, another quick K, and then you get a fly out on a 1-1 count. So you're up and down pretty quick. We get into the second. Again, it's a 1-2-3 inning for us. But we're putting the ball in play. And one of the things that I noticed, and this sounds a little silly, but even the first time through the order, even though we didn't have a whole lot to show for it, we were barreling some balls up. Now, they were jamming us some inside, so when we got the bad head out in front, especially with the left-handers, we're yanking it foul. But I was kind of encouraged. I said, you know what, there's not a lot of swing and miss. You know, we're putting balls in play. It's just kind of a matter of time before we get to this guy. And I, I was really impressed with, with the good job he did kind of getting us to hit the top of the baseball. He had some real sink. And Tanner Allen said in postgame that, that he was kind of cutting the fastball. He was kind of getting around it. So there was a bit of a cutting action to it to left-handers. And so as a result, you know, we're beating the ball on the ground. There were times that, you know, he sawed some bats off and there's just kind of some weak flyouts out there. But uh, we make the adjustment. As T.A. said it in postgame, and he's absolutely correct, baseball is a game of adjustments. And every at bat, we learned a little bit more. We got a little bit smarter. We took advantage of it when we finally get to the guy. All right, so again, bottom of second, top of second, we don't do anything, one, two, three. Bottom of second, again, a one, two, three inning and two more Ks. Two more Ks for Christian. And if you're like me, I'm thinking, okay, listen, we've been here before where he's gotten through the order one time pretty quick. Can he sustain it? And thankfully he does. 
Uh, we get our first hit, top of third, and, who, and guess it's Kellum Clark. 3-1 count, gets into an advantage count, gets a pitch he can hammer, he does. Tanner Leggett then flies out, four side strikes out looking. And listen, I, I mentioned this in my notes article, and I don't want anybody to think I'm picking on the kid, but Lane Forsyth strikes out looking way too many times. Absolutely way too many. And, again, he's a freshman. He'll get better at that. They go trouble convince him. And there are a lot of guys out there, you know, they're not used to seeing, you know, that two-seam fastball really dance the way that it's intended to. And sometimes they'll backdoor you with that. You're thinking it's away, and all of a sudden it cuts back on the corner. That's just one of those things you just gain through experience. You, know, you just kind of figure it out as you go. And Lane's a gamer. I mean, I, I really like his makeup, and I think that he is going to be a tremendous player for us over the next couple of years. He's already had some major contributions, had one tonight. But he does K looking a lot. And I did think later in the ball game, he kind of hung in there and battled and, and kind of figured out how they were attacking him and, and was able to make a big hit for us. But um, and then Rowdy Jordan uh, grounds out the ver- very first pitch on first base. And so we strand the runner there. We get to the bottom of three. We strike out a guy looking, and then they finally get a single through the right side. First pitch swinging, Jim Jarvis, the shortstop from Alabama, just kind of pulls it through the right side there. And it was crazy, too. It was kind of a worm burner. It wasn't like it was a line shot or a hard shot. It was just one that just kind of kind of a C&I single, you know, were kind of shaded toward the middle there and, and just uh, you know, couldn't get the Brule over there to get it. But, again, it wasn't hard contact. It was just one of those things that just kind of works through there. And then they get the, uh, the sack bunt. I don't like bunting with one out. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And, of course, they advanced the runner to second, and they pop up to first. And so the baseball guides were paying attention there. Just bad baseball. Top of four, T.A. hits one hard to first and, and eats the first baseman up. He, he kind of bodies it up and takes it off the chest and then has to toss it to the pitcher who covered. T.A. got down the line pretty quick. But, but again, we're hitting the baseball hard. You know, we're not hitting, you know, line drives just yet, but we're hitting the baseball hard. And then Logan Tanner, great job of hitting here. And that's one of the things that I love about Logan Tanner. There are a lot of young guys, and again, this is his first time through the SEC, and he's a lot more mature hitter than maybe some of the other guys are. And one of the things that he's kind of figured out is when he gets deeper in the counts, he's got to start looking the other way. And that's exactly what happens. Instead of trying to yank everything out of the ballpark or try to pull everything and ground out to second, he's hitting the ball where it is. And so they work him away on a full count, and what does he do? He dumps that breaking ball right into the right field line. It's kind of tailing away from the right fielder. Just did a great job of hitting there. And so we get him on. We don't do anything with it. Hancock flies out to right, and then Cam James, the grounds out to the shortstop. Bottom of four, Christian still dealing. A fly out, a strikeout, looking and then a fly out to right field, and uh, we're just kind of moving on along here, just kind of getting these efficient innings, getting some Ks when we need them, but pitching the contact when we have to, and getting guys to get themselves out. And that's what I thought Christian did a great job of, is really never giving in, making guys hit his pitch, and that's what happens. Guys go out there and they begin to just F, F7, F8, F9, because he is a fly ball machine. Top of fifth, we get uh, the Brule grounds out to the catcher, and, guys, I did not see a replay. But seeing this thing live, it looked like a foul ball to me. The ball spinning behind the plate. And maybe I'm misremembering that. I would love to have seen a replay. I'm not sure why they didn't review it. They, they seem to be pretty sure of the call. I wasn't. I don't know what Lamona saw there, but I probably would have challenged it based on uh, 
you know, on what I saw. And the ball's sitting there spinning and spinning and spinning. And, uh, listen, the, the plate is in fair territory, but I thought the ball was foul. And, again, we didn't get the benefit of a replay in the booth. And then uh, Kellum Clark, again, hitting the baseball hard, busting it down the line, forces an error by a second baseman. And then he's still second. He's a big, long guy that can hit for power, and then he can also run the bases. And here's the thing, some nuance in the game that I don't – I think the casual fan might miss. So Clark goes there, and Tanner Leggett swings deliberately to miss. Now, there are a lot of people who say, Steve, why would he do that? Well, because it keeps the catcher back. And because of the fact that the catcher has to stay back because of the swing, you know, even though the swing is somewhat disingenuous, you're just kind of getting a swing there to protect the runner. That's old school baseball there. And then, lo and behold, the catcher has to rush to throw. What does he do? He throws it high. And I think Kellum would have beat it anyway. But there was no contest because of the small things that Tanner Leggett does there. And I don't know if it's something he's coached to do or something he's picked up on his own. But it's basically a straight steal there. And when you've got a guy that can handle the bat a little bit, you're okay giving up a strike to ensure you're getting a runner in the scoring position. So it was great baseball right there. I really love seeing that. Leggett then grounds out to third on a sack bunt, and I really thought he was going to beat it there for a second. He just bunted it a little bit too hard. Third baseman comes up, bare hands, it makes a nice play. Runner goes to third. But, man, we were very, very close to having runners on the corners there with just the one out. And then Forsyth grounds out to the third base. Now, again, this is one of those things, too. I want you to watch what Lane Forsyth does over the course of this ballgame. He does get the punch out. The next time up, you know, he pulls a baseball. And actually hit it pretty well. But, again, this is a young man that's kind of growing up in front of our eyes. I, again, I'm a big fan. think he's going to be a great player for us. going to be one of the best defensive shortstops in the country. Okay, bottom of five, we got a little bit unlucky here. Christian goes out and strikes out Diodate on three pitches, and, and it, they were filthy, absolutely filthy. This is where I thought Christian really got stronger and began to kind of bear down a little bit. The second time through the order, I think he'd kind of figured out those guys just didn't have much for him. And then they get this – goofy wind-aided home run. Tate hits one. It looks like a routine fly ball, and T8 just keeps going back and back and back. The wind was blowing pretty hard left to right, and he pushed the ball out. And it's just first pitch he sees, and give him credit for getting it up there, but it was just one of those freak things. I mean, it's like you look at it and say, well, a lot of times these home runs are absolutely crushed and hit on a line. This thing was a routine fly ball. But listen, credit that guy for doing a good job situationally there and saying, you know what, there's a draft out to right field. Let me get it up there. And so he does. It's a one at the ball game. At this point, I thought, you know, this is we're going to come back here. But how unfortunate it is for Christian to pitch as well as he does and you give up a gopher ball on something like that. It's crazy. He bounces back, gets a K look in, then a ground out to first. Luke Hancock getting stronger and stronger over there for us as we go. Top of six. And this, I thought, was a critical point in the ball game. And I don't know if we managed it exceptionally well. And that's just, that's just me first guessing. As soon as, as soon as we got a couple of hits here, I thought we probably should have bunted, especially since we hadn't been able to kind of punch anything through. But we got the top of the order up here, and it looks like we're ready to rock, right? So Rowdy comes in and just bangs a single to right field. T.A. gets ahead of 2-0 count, so you know he's going to get something he can handle. He singles it back up the middle for us. And then you got runners at first and second, nobody out. Logan Tanner's coming up. I don't know if he can bunt or not. And, yes, I understand he's hitting three-hole. But Luke Hancock is a guy we know that can elevate a ball and drive in a, a sack, sack fly from third. 
And, uh, you know, you've got some opportunities here, but it's a one right ball game. And I'm thinking, you know what, let's play for one, maybe two here. Let's bunt. We don't. And, again, I don't know if Logan Tanner can bunt or not. Most catchers can generally read the baseball pretty well. But uh, Tanner pops up to the shortstop, infield fly, rule was in effect there. And so we, get, we give up the out and don't get any production from it. Very non-productive out there. And next thing you know, Luke Hancock lines out to center. I don't know if it was deep enough to score the run, but with Rowdy coming down from third, I would have sent him a chance to tie the ball game there. And then Cam James flies out to center field. Just one of those things you look at, you say, you know what, when you get a couple of guys on in a tight ball game like that, I know everybody wants to play for the big inning. You're thinking, man, we got two guys on with three, four, five up. Sometimes I think you got to manage the inning and not just the, the, the whole ball game. you got to manage the moment. And to me, I thought that was a mistake. But you know what? Lamonis has paid a lot of money to coach a team, and I'm paid the medium-sized bucks to write about the team. So uh, we don't get anything from it. And that was one of those moments you look at and say, you know what, that may come back to haunt us. Fortunately, it didn't. Christian doesn't let the home run phase him. He's right back to work, gets a pop out on a full count, and then gets Wilson singles through the left side, and then we get a double play. Great job by Luke Hancock here. Ball was hit right at him. And he grabs it, steps on the bag, and then throws to second. And so we have to tag. It's not a force play. You know, we got to tag at second. Even got some questions about that on Twitter. But, you know, when we, when we step on the, the, the bag at first, that negates the force play at second. So it's a tag play. And usually what you teach your first baseman to yell is tag. You know, tag so they know that you've stepped on the bag. But great job by Scotty DeBrule getting it down. So we get out of the inning there. And, again, I thought Christian really was getting stronger. But we're running out of outs. You know, that's the thing I was also telling myself. Yeah, great job, but you know what? We're down to our final nine outs. Seventh innings here. we got to get some things rolling, and we absolutely do. Scotty DeBrule, and again, we talked about this whole Scotty DeBrule, Cam James, Kellum Clark combo. I think it's going to be helpful. I really do. DeBrule works for leadoff walk, and then Kellum Clark crushes a ball off the center field wall. It's just one of those things you look at. We needed something to ignite the offense, and there it was. You know what? And then if he pulls that ball a little bit, it's a two-run homer. But he absolutely crushes it. I, mean, I love guys that have power to center, too. Just, there's not a lot of them because everybody's kind of taught to their point of contact to be able to pull balls down the line and in the gaps. But, man, he absolutely tattoos this thing. And the best thing about it, too, guys, it's on an 0-2 count. And you know, how many people sometimes are going to say, well, it's a freshman, but let me try to sneak one by him. And he absolutely makes him pay. Absolutely makes him pay. He fouled off the first pitch. And I, I want to say the second one was a check swing or maybe not. But, but either way, it's an 0-2 count. And he crushes that baseball to tie the ball game. Leggett then, we, we, get the, we get the bunt down. We get Clark to third. So we are playing a little small ball here. And then Forsyth, really a great at bat here. We talked about him kind of growing up in front of our eyes. He has the first at bat was not a good one. The second one, he puts the ball in play. And here he comes up, you know, in a big spot here for Mississippi State, an RBI situation, a chance we really got to get, at the very least, you're thinking, let's get a sack fly and get this run home. But here's what happens. Foul ball takes a ball, and then it's a foul. So it's a one-two count. The next thing you know, he takes a breaking ball down, takes a ball in, it's a full count. And what happened last time we had a full count, they strike him out looking. Not this time. They, they work the same thing away. He fouls it off to give himself new life, and then he rocketed one back up the middle. And I'll tell you what, I thought the shortstop made an incredible play just to knock this thing down. 
but th- they're not able to do anything. And uh, this is when Heller gets hurt. And uh, it was really kind of scary. You know, they they reacted immediately. You know, he's stretching, trying to make a play there. And, uh, you know, like a hamstring or groin-type injury. But uh, he was down immediately. And, uh, you know, good on a second baseman for running over and getting the ball because it's still a live ball. Everybody could have kept running there. But we get the run home. So great job of Lane Forsyth not only just improving from at bat to at bat and kind of figuring out how they're attacking him, but hanging in there, not getting down on himself, and then coming through in a big moment. Sometimes that gets lost. You know, people say, oh, you know, we strike a lot. And he does. And say, well, you know, Stevie, he's leading the team in errors. And he is. But you know what? He's a freshman. He's getting better. And you can see it. And we're going to need that guy to make a play for us. There's going to come a time in our postseason you know, play where we're going to need that guy to come up with a big base hit for us. And he did tonight. He did tonight. Absolutely great job by Lane. So they make a bunch of defensive changes here. And then Rowdy flies out, and then T.A. doubles to left center to drive in two runs. And that's the big hit. I mean, that's the dude moment, right? I mean, that's like everybody's thinking, okay, listen, it's a 2-1 ball game. We need to extend this thing and really give our, our – you know, probably give Christian a chance to come out for one more inning. If it's a 2-1 ball game, you probably bring in Brandon Smith, right? I don't know if you give Christian the seventh if it's a 2-1 game. But T.A. comes up, gets the big hit – absolutely rips it into the left field gap and then a two-run score there. And and that's the thing, you, you begin to work this thing around and you begin to think, you know, this is a rally started by the second half of the order. You know, DeBrule's hitting sixth, Clark's hitting seventh, Leggett's hitting eighth, Forsythe's hitting ninth. You get, you get a walk and two hits out of those and then a sack bunt. So every one of those guys contributed to the, the decisive inning in the ball game. And there's so much of that. We look at batting averages and we look at all that stuff, and, and it's important. But how about here we were with the game on the line and a chance for us to do something, and it's the bottom half of the order that starts the rally, and then the top of the order closes the door for the most part. T.A. comes up there, gets the big hit, makes it a 4-1 ball game. And then uh, Logan Tanner grounds out the short, and then Hancock grounds out to the pitcher. And great job by the pitcher there. I thought that ball was uh, destined for an in-base, an infield single. Didn't work out that way. So Christian comes back out, has a lengthy at bat to start the frame. And this is where you could definitely tell he was a little bit tired. I think the fastball was down a couple miles per hour. But he gets uh, this long at bat. You know, it's a ball, a strike, a ball, foul ball, ball, foul, 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 foul. Just couldn't finish him. And then the breaking ball stays up, and it's a leadoff walk. And you're thinking, this is not what we needed. But rather than have that, that moment where we've had in the past where Christian just kind of like, okay, i got to make a perfect pitch. That's not what happened. Not what happened at all. He goes out in the tax hitter. Prater is their home run hitter. Got 13 dingers. And then Christian goes right at him, misses inside, and then comes back with a changeup on the inner half. Then you get a foul ball, and then he punches him out. It's their best hitter. That's their RBI guy. Diodati comes up. Christian gets him on three pitches. And you're thinking, you know what? We're dealing here. We're done. And then Tate, again, Tate was involved in everything with them. Slow roller out there to shortstop, and just couldn't get him. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's, It's a shame that Christian gets soft contact here, and it's too soft for us to convert the play. It's not Lane's fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's not first baseman's fault. 
I mean, the guys fold on the pitch and just hits a slow roller out towards short. We're just not able to convert, but it extended the inning. And then what do you know? They get a, a 2-1 single to drive in the run, made it a 4-2 ball game. And, again, Doc Christian deserved better. Again, it's nobody's fault. It's one of those deals where leadoff walks always come back to haunt you. He just simply couldn't finish him. But he does finish the inning. Despite all that, Foxhall comes out there, calms him down. Two pitches later, we're in a dugout. And the crisis is averted. 4-2 ball game. Really felt at that point we knew that Christian was done. Felt it was probably landing Sims time because now it's no longer a three-run game. Now it's, you know, two swings away. So, you, you know, probably can't, you know, run him out there with three. But you got to run him out there with two. I think if it's a three-run ball game, we probably see Brandon Smith there. So top of the eighth, we have a chance to extend the lead. Cam James works a leadoff walk, and it's crazy. It works for them, doesn't work for us because we don't put balls in play like we should. So DeBrule strikes out swinging and uh, did not agree with the check swing. This didn't. This did not agree with that call at all. I thought it was a bad call. Um, you know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but you know, I just I think that. Uh, that was one of those things where the umpire kind of assumed the call. So uh, Cam James breaks on a wild pitch, and he read it all the way. He was already going before the ball was in the dirt. It's just like he read, read it out of the pitcher's hand. And so he takes off, steals the base, and then overcuts the base, but is able to get his hand back in there. They review it, rule him safe. Alabama actually challenged the call. It wasn't the officials to call for review. Kellum Clark gets ahead 2-0, and then uh, we ground out there to third base. I made a nice play there. And then uh, Tanner Leggett struck out looking. So that's the, that's the end of the eighth for us. And, uh, you know, we're down to three outs. They're down to six. And you're just thinking, you know, with Landon Sims out there, it's going to be tough for those guys to score. And what do we do? We go out there and we have a leadoff walk. And then we get a K swinging. And then we saw a guy's bat off on an 0-2 count. And uh, it just kind of drops in the green grass out there in center. So they get two guys on. Alabama fans were starting to feel in it. And then Landon Sims says, uh, no, that's not, uh, that's not any winning emotion from you. That's just me ramming us down your throat. So he strikes out Denton on three pitches. And then Prater, again, I, I turned to Robbie Falk when Prater stepped in the ball, uh, batter's box. I said, this is a ball game right here. This is it. This is their last chance. You got – you know, the time runs on base and the winner run at the plate or to go ahead and run at the plate. So it's a best-on-best best situation, and Landon Sims got the better of their best hitter. So first pitch fastball, or for, maybe that's the first pitch breaking ball. And then we get a ball out of the zone, then we get the K, another strike called. It's a one and two count. And then we, we do some purpose pitches. We throw a slider to kind of change his eye level a little bit and come back and we get him. And uh, he flies out to center. And what's crazy is off the bat, it did not look like it was gone. It's crazy how people react. He barrels one up, and, and it's probably 20 feet from the warning track. And everybody's hollering and screaming and everything else. And I'm thinking, what am I missing? You know, Row- Rowdy's camped underneath the baseball here. It's going to be an easy out. But, man, they were, they were awfully excited. But I really felt that was the ball game there. I would have liked for us to have been a little more competitive there in the ninth. We really weren't. We did, we did not have a competitive at bat in the ninth. Forsyth strikes out looking. And granted, he had his big moment, so I'm not going to begrudge him too much here. Rowdy then strikes out looking. 
and then Allen pops up to the shortstop. And so, you know, those are three guys, too, that can handle the bat pretty well. But um, we didn't do much there. So we get to the ninth. And that's one of the things, too, that I want, I want to say. We've got to be careful with this, too. No matter who we are or whatever, and I'm not saying this is a deliberate action, but sometimes when Landon Sims comes in the ball game, everybody has a tendency to relax. It's a good and a bad thing. We still got to play ball. You know, there's going to come a time when Landon Sims is going to give up a home run. There's going to come a time when Landon Sims maybe just doesn't have control one night and walks a couple of guys. I mean, that's going to happen. And so we can't just go out there and say, okay, the ball game is over. You know, we got to stay engaged and get some guys on base and try to tack on some more runs in, until the game is over. That's just the reality of it. So Sims comes out for the ninth, and uh, we get an absolute phenomenal ninth inning for him. This is kind of reminiscent of what happened with Vanderbilt and even South Carolina. It's like once, once he's loose and once he's feeling it, the ball game is over. He gets a pinch hitter, Potota left-hander, got him strikeout looking. Got Tate swinging. Tate was in the middle of everything. It was kind of rewarding to see him go on three pitches. And then Eblin, the guy that, that had the RBI to get their uh, their inning started earlier, he strikes out swinging in the ball game. So that's it. State wins the ball game 4-2. Let's take a quick look at the numbers before we kind of move on here. This is, uh, this is a big win for State. And not just because it's an Alabama team that's playing for something. You know, we needed to get settled. We absolutely needed to get settled. You know, we had the – you know, the five-run game, the five-inning game of the other day. But let's be honest. I mean, that, that's, just, that's practice for us, right? I mean, it's just that's, that's – we needed to go win an SEC game on the road. And I think sometimes going on the road is good for us. Rowdy Jordan, one for five. T.A., two for five. Of course, the, two, the big two RBI double, uh, the big one. Kellum Clark, two for four, also with an RBI. And then Lane Forsyth goes one for four. But uh, that RBI was huge for Mississippi State. Tanner Laggett just goes 0 for 2, but it seemed like he was in the middle of every rally, whether he's moving runners or, or you know, getting sag bunts down, whatever. He, he's getting things going. But really the story tonight was Mississippi State pitching, and most nights that is the case. I thought Christian McLeod was outstanding. He, got, he ups his record to 5-3, and three, and uh, his ERA is now 3-11, which really seems small considering some of the outings we've had. He goes seven innings, allows two runs on five hits, strikes out ten, walks just one, and that was, of course, uh, there in the seventh as he began to tire. Uh, 96 pitches thrown. There was one stretch there. I think his first 19 pitches, 16 were for strikes, and the other three were purpose pitches. So uh, he did not miss. That's the thing. It's like – when he's executing pitches at a high level, even though he doesn't have that plus fastball, you're not going to hit him. When he can execute all three and change speeds and keep your eye level up, you know, he is a guy that uh, you're not going to be able to hit him up when he's able to get that low strike. And I didn't think he got the low strike tonight, but he still was able to make the count work for him. Really, really proud of the effort. And, again, we had that great outing at South Carolina. This one not quite as good, but the end result the same. Landon Sims comes in, gives up the one hit, last two innings, strikes out five, walks one. Craziness, absolute craziness. 33 pitches thrown for him. So he's done for Friday. He could pitch on Saturday if needed. One of the best things about Christian going seven, we didn't have to have a bridge guy. You know, we didn't have to use Brandon Smith to Preston Johnson to get to Landon Sims. So now all of a sudden, those guys can go – tomorrow if needed or they can go Saturday if needed and so 
as we talked about the South Carolina game, you know, when we had to bring in Sims because, you know, the game, we kind of let South Carolina creep back in the ball game, we had to bring in Sims. Well, this situation is completely different because of the fact that McLeod is able to go to full seven. That's an extra day's rest and two more arms that are available the rest of the weekend. And so we talked about losing that Sunday game, you know, when we had to, to bring in Sims. You know, now all of a sudden we've got fresher arms for later in the weekend. It's a whole lot better than having to run four guys out there, right? So feel good about where we are. I thought we played really well. I, I thought Raz gave us some trouble the first time through the order. And this is a guy that's been around the league a little bit, and they're really high on him, and, and uh, it has not been a great year you know, for Alabama pitching, but he is one of their better ones. I mean, you know, he's, he was 6-3 and three coming into tonight. We get to him. Uh, he goes 99 pitches. But I thought William Freeman did a nice job against us and uh, really kind of shut us down, you know, once we got uh, Tyler out of the ball game. But uh, hopefully we won't see Freeman again. He's got 33 pitches thrown, but he did a great job. He really did. And uh, tip of the cap to those guys. But happy with the win, and uh, we'll talk about what it all means a little bit later in the show. It's uh, time to jump into many people's favorite segment of the show. I meet you guys around Steve, I love a top ten. And, and thank you for that because in the beginning I wondered if it was going to work. You're in the quarantine. We're looking to fill content. And, uh, you know, just didn't know if it was going to work. And now every day I get a, a message from somebody saying, hey, Steve, if you've done this playlist, can you send it to me? Or, or can you do this playlist? And it's become something that's uh, actually pretty cool. So today's top ten list Brought to you by johnnypacker.com. I met John here recently. I've met John before, but uh, we had a chance to visit and and uh, talk a little bit about cystic fibrosis and about where he is and, and how some great things have happened for him. And he's trying to give back. And uh, johnnypacker.com is one way he's doing that. A portion of every purchase of sunglasses goes directly to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Every single one of them. And so a couple of things you need to know. Go to johnnypacker.com. All those frames named after Mississippi Towns. These are Mississippi State Bulldogs that are running this company. But you guys have been kind of depleting the inventory like as soon as it comes in, but don't despair because they can turn it around for you very, very quickly. So if you go on the website and it says, hey, I want to get the Greenwood frames, but they show it sold out, just hit that contact us link and say, hey, John, Brandon, I really want these frames. They can go ahead and get them ordered for you because a lot of times what happens is they don't, you know, the orders come in so frequently, they don't know when things are being flagged or sold out. But they can get them for you. There will not be some delay. It's not going to be some back order situation. Uh, so they'll let you know. So reach out to them. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a promo code. The promo code is Boneyard. That saves you 10% on your purchase. How about that? So just by listening to the show, you get some cool sunglasses from some Mississippi State folks that are going to donate some of your money to cystic fibrosis to help people's lung function, to give them a higher quality of life. And then in addition to that, we're going to save you a little money just for being a member of the show. It's great. JohnnyPacker.com, promo code Boneyard. Today's top 10 requested by David in Brookhaven. Reached out and said, hey, Steve, listen, I don't need credit on the show, but David, you got it anyway. So you can go... Go out there to what's that, Brahma's? Go to Brahma's today and get you a sandwich and say, you know what, Steve's in my top ten list. He reached out and said, you know what, Steve, a little bit younger than you, love the classic rock stuff, but uh, really dug the early 2000s and still listen to that stuff. 
one of my favorite bands was Puddle of Mud. So we're going to do Puddle of Mud today. Some people would say, Steve, I don't know who that is. Well, I'm just going to tell you. So Puddle of Mud, uh, 7 million records sold. But man, and man, they came out of the gate so strong. Their debut album, Come Clean, sold 5 million copies. And you heard me say it, 7 million. They sold seven over 7 million records. Sold 5 million of Come Clean. And then uh, Life Displayed was the follow-up. So we sold about 705,000. So you begin to kind of do the math on that and say, you know what, Steve? They sold, you know, basically 5,700 or 5.7 million records, and you're telling me the other three or four records only sold, uh, you know, one and, one and a quarter? That's exactly what I'm telling you. And a lot of that is because Wes Scantlin, a singer from Puddle of Mud, is kind of a cautionary tale for excess. He is a guy that has, has his demons. And, you know, the, the early part of this – and I think that's one of the reasons that Come Clean was so big is a lot of people have all this pent-up pain and, and aggression and that kind of stuff, and then they get a chance to share it with people. And either they begin to heal or it begins to get worse. And uh, that's why a lot of these bands, you see, they get a little more softer. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they're rockers in the beginning, and the next thing you know, they're playing them at Subway. You know I mean? It's just it's a different dynamic. But for Wes, it's gone the complete opposite direction. Yeah, I mean, like there, there's been a time they've had to take their social media accounts down because some things have happened, but embarrassing for the band. And, you know, his voice is not what it once was. And, and it's like he doesn't have a, a real handle on the self-awareness. And so, Wes, man, we, we, we hope you get better. Matter of fact, when I went and saw the Carnival of Madness tour in South Haven at the Lander Center, Puddle of Mud missed the show. And it was because of some incident at an airport and with Wes. And so he's a very self-destructive person. Um, but he's a very talented musician when he's on his game. So we're going to talk about that today. Top 10 Puddle of Mud songs. So number 10 is one that's a little deeper into the catalog. You wrestling fans may recognize this. It was the uh, theme song for a pay-per-view, but it's nothing left to lose. And uh, almost autobiographical for Wes, you would say. Number nine, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you guys this. I don't really advocate for... Um, you know, for drug songs. But that doesn't mean that uh, I don't appreciate the honesty in some of that, you know, because I, I've been there. But number nine for me is Stoned. And uh, one of the things that I do appreciate about Puddle of Mud is there is an honesty in the music. There are a lot of people out here that want to paint this pretty picture. It's just like, you know, like a, the old adage about, uh, I wish your life was as perfect as it is on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, there is none of that with Puddle of Mud because, as I mentioned, they, they didn't have a Facebook account for a while because of some embarrassing stuff that went on. But there is an honesty in Wes Scantlin's words, and many of it is negative. Much of it is negative, excuse me. And a lot of it is you know, directly from you know, his heart. So I can appreciate the honesty and the authenticity in the things that he writes, and this is one of them. Number eight, Spaceship. Spaceship, actually a pretty cool track, man. I, I dig it. When they first started playing it. Now, let me tell you this too. Some of you guys that listen to the show, you pull up the playlist when the show is over. This is not a playlist you need to listen to with your kids in the car. So that there, there's your disclaimer. I'm being your friend here. Uh, I dig all these songs, and some of them are you know, teenager and kid safe. Most of them are not. They're not. I'm just telling you. So be mindful of that. Don't say, well, Steve, I want to listen to a playlist. You didn't tell me. 
I'm going to just tell you, there are some explicit lyrics, and Spaceship is one of those songs. There is a lot of, uh, let's say, innuendo, and some of it's not even very veiled. Uh, number seven on the list is Psycho. Great tune, and this is when I thought Wes was really kind of finding his groove, too. The guitar is great. The tone is great. Lyrics are great. Number six, this is another one you don't need to listen to with your kids in the car. Not at all. But number six, and this is an absolute banger, and it's a song about a guy that's uh, so incredibly insecure that uh, at every turn he thinks his girlfriend's cheating on him and uh, is very, very forthright in his commentary about it. But the name of the song is Away From Me. It's actually a pretty cool video, too, if you want to go check it out on YouTube. But uh, this is one of those, we talk about honesty. We talk about a guy pouring out his heart in music. This is one of them. It's a very angry song. Number five, and at one point, this was probably my favorite Puddle Mud song back when they played it regularly on Sirius Octane. But it's famous. I just want to be famous. I love that song. I really do. Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out. 
and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Number four, this goes back to the beginning. And I really felt this should have been a bigger hit. It was a hit. I thought it could have potentially been a crossover hit and played on some other stations. But it's drift and die. I love the acoustic lead-in on this. Love the lyrics. It's just one of those songs, too, that uh, it kind of hits you in an emotional place. I think at some point we've all been there. But uh, it is a cool track. Number three, and this is an, a, an absolute banger, too. I mean, just from that opening riff, you kind of know what's happening. You, you know it's one of those songs you need to pay attention to. It's one of those, it's like before you know it, you're just kind of involuntarily grabbing the volume and turning it up. Like if somebody's talking to you, kind of give them that look like, shut up, I'm fixing to jam this. This is one of those tracks, and it's control. And again, a song that you don't need to play around your kids. Number two, and this is one you could play around your kids, and it's actually about Wes Gantlin's son, and it was their first big hit. And uh, it's recently been covered by Philadelphia, Mississippi's own Hardy song, Blurry. was the, uh, the lead single off of Come Clean, and uh, there were so many people that jumped on that song. And it could be kind of whatever you want it to be. You know, it's about you know, protecting somebody you love, and it, whether it be... You know, a romantic interest or a child or whatever. There is, there is, there is a tender level of authenticity in this song that was very endearing, and it was all of our introduction to Puddle of Mud. And I think when we all heard this, we're thinking, you know what, these guys are a little bit different. You know, this is this guy's singing about some real stuff. It's not just hey, let's go have a party or whatever. And it's not one of those deals where you know, let's all go get drunk and shoot each other. You know. It, I think there was just there was some tenderness in the pain in all of this that appealed to all of us because I think it, at the end of the day we all kind of feel the same way about our children or the people that we love that we want to protect them and so that's what that track is about. But number one, and I know many of you would have had Blurry there, but I'm not going to do that because I, I think uh, I don't know that Blurry is actually truly indicative of the puddle of mud experience. I, I think it is a really kind of the outlier. And I think that's one of the reasons that you saw diminishing record sales after Come Clean left the market and then they came back with, uh, you know, Life Displayed and then they had uh, Famous and I guess Volume 4 and then they had the fifth album. I can't even remember what it was. I didn't mean buy it. But um, I think one of the reasons that they had that is because Blurry, I think, kind of gave people, you know, maybe a bit of a distorted view of who they are. But still going back to the Come Clean album, and I think at some point, every guy has sung this song about a current love interest or a former love interest and meant it with all of their hearts. And it's the song, She Hates Me. And again, you don't need to listen to this with your kids in the car. (laughs) So I've given an awful lot of disclaimers on this top 10 list, but these guys absolutely rock. And, again, I had such high hopes for this band. It hasn't worked out. That doesn't mean we can't appreciate the high moments that they had. And so, Dave, thanks so much for reaching out for the suggestion for Puddle of Mud. And I couldn't believe we hadn't done them. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's one of those bands from the early 2000s that were just gigantic. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, yeah, what was that band? Oh, yeah, they sang that song. Uh, what is it? Yeah, Blurry. 
And then nowadays people are like, who? A puddle of mud? I don't What was that? You know, it's so they've really faded. And a lot of it is, uh, you know, much, you know, to, to blame for, uh, for, for West Scantland. So hopefully they get it figured out. But uh, listen, Wes, we thank you so much for those songs earlier in your career. And uh, wish the best for you. Hope you guys enjoyed the list. If you have a suggestion for the top ten list, reach out. Let me know. I'm on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. Had and I tell you, let me just share with you guys that we've had some pretty cool requests lately. And somebody asked me, "Hey Steve, can we do Whitney Houston or Diana Ross?" We will do one of those next week. I didn't want to do it on a Friday. I just think Fridays are for rocking. I don't want you know what I'm saying. I just didn't want to do it. And somebody else, after I mentioned Godsmack today on, on Twitter, said, hey, Steve, how about a Godsmack list? We'll do that, too, at some point. Um, and then I had somebody else reach out to me and said, hey, Steve, one time you did, and this is on my favorite list. I can't remember who suggested it, but it was killer. And said, hey, Steve, what's your favorite song from the 10 bands that you hate the most? Somebody has come back and said, Steve, why don't you give me your least favorite song from the 10 bands that you like the most? So maybe I'll play with that a little bit, and we'll see. But you guys can get creative with that. And, I, and listen, you guys were so incredibly supportive of that Eagles solo uh, songs list that Roy came up with. I mean, we had a ton of traffic on that, and a lot of people reaching out to me on social media saying, Steve, you nailed the list. And Roy is always very discriminating when it comes to the He'll always message me, oh, you blew it. This should have been number one. And he always means it in good spirits. And so, but it's rare that I get Roy giving me the thumbs up. And Roy gave me two and said, you know what? You nailed it. I did have somebody to reach out and said, Steve, I think we should have had New York Minute from Don Henley in there. Probably could have argued for that, but uh, maybe put that in there instead of the end of it, the, the end of the innocence. But uh, nevertheless, thank you guys for the support. Glad you dug the list. And again, reach out. Let me know if you have suggestions. I'm happy to do them. All right, let's look around the league. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I keep forgetting to go by there. I'm so busy. I'm sure that I'm sure that uh, Susie and Cheyenne have ate my peanuts. They're probably no good anymore. I'll probably have to get some from the next batch from Standing Man. He probably thinks I'm being ungrateful. I'm not. I just haven't had a chance. But uh, I'm going to try to get by there tomorrow. i got to run to town, go to the bank, that kind of stuff. But... Um, you need to go by and see Stan the Man, too. And maybe maybe not to get bull peanuts, maybe to outfit your family for summer vacation in new Mississippi State gear. I have so many people that tell me, hey, Steve, every time we get ready to go on trips, I always get a new Mississippi State shirt because I want other people to see it. I want to rep the brand, let people know on, on Maroon Friday I'm wearing maroon. I think it's great. I think everybody should do that. And the kids are getting out of school. My kid got his last day of school was uh, Thursday. And so I need to buy him some celebratory gear for all that stuff. I, I believe in rewarding the kids, man. I really do. Now, I don't believe in spoiling them, though the, some people in my family would probably disagree. They, they do say I spoil my kids. But uh, there's nothing wrong with getting them some Mississippi State stuff. And so I'd encourage you to do that. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. The promo code is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Go back and buy something else. Buy yourself something. Reward yourself, Mom and Dad. We do a lot. We put up with a lot of nonsense, right? There's nothing wrong with getting a new Mississippi State shirt or getting a Mississippi State hat. Get you a new M over S hat, Dad. 
All right, so let's look around the league here. And again, I mentioned it was a good day for Mississippi State. Could have been a great day, but it was a good day. So as the standings end today, Thursday night, or Friday morning now, Mississippi State is the fourth seed, projected to be the fourth seed in the SEC tournament. So what does that mean, Steve? Well, it means we would get a bye and not play on Tuesday. That's what that would mean. So we wouldn't play until Wednesday, which gives us an extra day of rest. Also, too, uh, kind of gets us out of that knockout phase because, you know, there's going to be some teams out there that need to win that ball game on Tuesday to improve their standing. So let's kind of look at what happened around the league. Let me run the standings down for you real quick. Your Arkansas, two games up on us in the West, 20-8. and eight, And, of course, first in the SEC. Tennessee, a game behind Arkansas at 19-9. and nine, And then Vanderbilt, 18-9. and nine, Right there. And so Vanderbilt is the three seed as it sits today because of the fact that they're they're a game ahead of us in the loss column. We have the same number of wins. We've lost one more game. And isn't it cool to think about, too, we we talk so much about Vanderbilt. We've won the same number of regular season games they have. Both of us have won 38 games. Right? Isn't that crazy? We're 38 and 13. They're 38 and 12 because they had a game canceled. You know, they had had the – Alabama game canceled. And if we'd played some of these non-conference games, we'd have already won over 40 games, but our RPI probably wouldn't be what it needs to be. But there we are. There we are. And uh, so kind of looking behind us, of course, Florida loses a ball game. So we're a game up on Florida for that fourth seed. That puts Florida and Ole Miss right there together, tied for that fifth seed. But, of course, you know, Florida is going to win the tiebreaker there. If memory serves me correct. Yeah, so yeah, Florida. Florida will win the tiebreaker there. So that would have Ole Miss as a sixth seed. And I am, and just so you guys know, I would love to play Ole Miss and Hoover. Absolutely love to play Ole Miss and Hoover. They're not very good away from their own ballpark. Okay, so let's look at uh, again break down what happened on uh on Thursday. Busy, busy weekend, as you guys know. Everybody's kind of finishing up here. So Texas AM takes a 2-1 game from LSU. LSU loses to Northwestern State on Tuesday, and then they lose to A&M today. LSU is in trouble. They kind of played their way into contention, and we're thinking, you know what, they'll go to A&M, they'll win the series, and then all of a sudden A&M's gotten hot here late. Of course, A&M took the series from Ole Miss, and they played State really, really hard too. Uh, Played really hard against Auburn as well, but – they go down there and take a game at home away from LSU. LSU is officially in desperation mode now. Now, if they bounce back and win these uh, win these next two and maybe win a game or two in Hoover, I think with their RPI, maybe they get in. They can't afford to lose anything else. Texas A&M throws a two-hitter against them. And again, as I mentioned, two games in a row that they've lost. Arkansas takes care of Florida, a 6-1 ball game, and it really never appeared to be in doubt at all. 6-1, Florida made it one error in the ball game, had just three hits. Uh, Mississippi State, of course, takes care of Alabama 4-2. State out hit them 7-6. We played a clean ball game, no errors. Ole Miss on uh, Doug Nikhazy's start. Nikhazy goes and, and pitches a well of a ball game. It's a 2-0 shutout at Georgia. And you should expect this Friday night game especially to be 
low scoring. Scott Strickland has some pitchers to Georgia. They, they do. And uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, what happens. Georgia, just a month ago, was projected to be a solid number two. They may not make the dance, guys. They're going to they're gonna have to come out and probably win these next two. I, and, again, I think Ole Miss is going to host. I think by winning one at Georgia, they're on the right side of the 16. There, there's still some, some movement to happen, but – there's only going to be four teams of the 20 not make the regional hosting platform, right? I think right now Ole Miss has done enough, as crazy as it sounds, because it really it gets really weak on the back end of it. It really does. There's not a lot of teams really pushing for that. But it's going to be interesting what would happen should Georgia take the next two and then Ole Miss go 0-1 at Hoover. Like if they get beat in that single elimination game on Tuesday – and, and end up losing three in a row, I think there could be some discussion if somebody else on the back end gets hot. But as it is today, I think Ole Miss is a host probably 14, 15, 16, somewhere around there. I think that's, uh, that's probably exactly what you'd expect. Uh, Tennessee whips South Carolina 10-4. and four. South Carolina, one of the teams on the backside of the 20 that needs some good things to happen be nice if South Carolina could win a game or two and help us move up in the standings, right? So Gamecocks, we're counting on you. You're counting on yourself to try to earn a host site, and uh, you didn't help yourself tonight. They're 32-19, and 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 listen, we need South Carolina to take a game from Tennessee to kind of give us a chance to, uh, to move up in the pecking order a little bit. Auburn, this isn't going to make you feel good. Auburn absolutely embarrasses Missouri. 15 to 6 in Columbia. I know, I know, I know. Remember they lost to Kansas earlier in the week. I know. Let's move on from that. Uh crazy, crazy, crazy game in Nashville. Kentucky had a lead much of the ball game and then Vanderbilt walks them off in the ninth, a 4-2 deal. And you know, Kentucky playing for their tournament lives as well. They need to win a game and probably need to win a couple of games in Hoover. I think right now that Kentucky is on the bad side of the bubble. They had an opportunity tonight to really take a step forward and really help Mississippi State. Like, again, they're, they're a half game up on us because of that cancellation with Alabama. So if Kentucky can take a game and we can manage to sweep, we can catch Vanderbilt, right? And now all of a sudden you're the three seed. And so – we need some good things to happen for us. So, again, a good night for Mississippi State, not a great night. Now, let's look at some other top 25 scores uh, because I think there's some things that you're going to find rather interesting. You mentioned, you heard me mention at the beginning of the show how the, uh, the Big 12 is uh, really overrated. Let me pull up our D1 baseball scoreboard. Thanks to our friends uh, Kendall Rogers and, and Aaron Fitt over there. They do a great job. I don't always agree with their projections. And I think they hype up a couple teams probably a little bit too much, but I know we're all out there trying to sell uh, subscriptions. I I get it. I understand it. But um, so here are our top 25 scores. You know, things you look at here, and I'm not going to give you you the the scores you're already familiar with, but, uh, you know, East Carolina's in the mix to host 10-1 winners over South Florida. They actually played a doubleheader today. ECU takes both games. So I think it's safe to say ECU is going to host. I don't think there's any question now. 
Uh, UNC Wilmington takes a game from Charlotte. That is awful for Charlotte. They're, they were one of the bubble hosting teams. And then you drop a ball game like this late. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this is their last regular season series. Notre Dame, eight, two winners over Virginia Tech. We don't expect much resistance from uh, those guys over there. NC State, a 6-4 winner over Florida State. And I loved all these people here a couple weeks ago, all these uh, college baseball hipsters that think they know so much more than the rest of us. Everybody said, oh, well, uh, you know, Louisville and Florida State will be a one seed in somebody else's regional. Yeah, and then Louisville gets swept by an unranked North Carolina team the very next weekend. And then every time I turn around, Florida State's dropping a game. They drop another one today. And uh, another big upset that could be a, a problem for Kusa, even though I think Louisiana Tech is probably safely in, Old Dominion, 10-8 winners. 10-8 winners. So, again – you know, a lot of people are worried about, you know, the back end of this thing. That's why I think that Ole Miss has put themselves in a great position because a lot of these teams that they're competing with, you know, for those last couple of regional hosting spots are losing. Some teams that State is kind of competing with for a top eight national seed also had some difficulties tonight, which you absolutely love to see. So Kansas State is a 4-2 winner over TCU. Uh, West Virginia, 5-4 winner over Texas. And then Kansas, 7-4 winner over Texas Tech. So all three of the big three in the Big 12 were beat. How great would it be for all three of those guys to lose the series? Don't expect that, but it would give us a little more breathing room. You know, some people have us projected as the seven seed. Some have us projected as the eight you know, we just need to go take care of business this weekend and then let the traffic clear around us. There are a lot of teams out there with a lot to play for, too, that aren't playing exceptionally well either. That's the thing sometimes people forget. We're just more you know, acutely aware of it because we have a vested interest in Mississippi State. But there are some other teams out there, too, that aren't exactly sprinting across the finish line. We need to benefit from that and just take care of our business and let them, you know, fumble this thing away. So that's kind of where things look uh, around the country right now, at least the teams that you're most interested in. So, again, I think when this all breaks down, I think the SEC is going to have obviously the most hosting sites. And then, uh, you know, the the Big Ten may not have one. You know, we'll see. I think that ACC will get Notre Dame, and then we'll kind of see how things play out. But, you know, another thing I want to tell you guys, too, I, I think sometimes this gets lost in translation. We talk so much about geography, and geography is a factor. It is not the major factor, but it is a factor. But, you know, Southern Miss is a team, it's not, they're not playing this weekend. The Hayes in the barn for USM outside of the Cooster tournament. But if they're one of the strongest two seeds, if they're, if they're in contention to host, why would they be sent to Mississippi State? Oh, well, geography? Well, Ole Miss is going to host. Why wouldn't they go there? To me, that makes better sense. And I've been looking at this and studying this for weeks. So I, this is where I think D1 baseball is wrong. I think Southern Miss, if they don't host, they're headed to Oxford, Mississippi. Because you're going to have one of the weaker one seeds against one of the tougher two seeds. And that's how the tournament works. That's how the tournament field is seeded. So let's say Southern Miss finishes up, you know, 17 or 18. So you're going to send them 
to go play a top eight national seed? No, you're not. You're going to pair them up with they want, you know, one of the teams that's on the back end of the regional hosting platform. So there's my hot take for you right there. I expect Ole Miss to host, barring a complete collapse. And I expect Southern Miss, if they don't host, to end up in the Oxford Regional. That, that's my expectation today. Not exactly sure what's going to happen in Jackson State. You know, they may end up in Starkville. I would hate for that to happen for them. Not that I think Mississippi State wouldn't beat them. I would just hate – I think Jackson State deserves an opportunity to travel somewhere other than the state of Mississippi. They've already done that. So, you know, there's going to be some other regionals around. You know, maybe you send them to Fayetteville. I don't know. Let them take a trip somewhere. Let them see some places they've never seen before. Maybe I'm wrong. But that's how I feel. So I think it's important, too, as we begin to kind of break this whole thing down to kind of understand that uh, there's a lot of guessing going on by all of us. None of us know for sure what the committee is going to do. And uh, one thing that I wanted to do, too, is kind of pull up the uh, real-time RPI. And it's, uh, you know, there's, there's some ebb and flow, and there's some things left to happen. So if we look, I'm going to look at, we're going to go with uh, D1 Baseball. I'm a, I'm a, a D1 pr- subscriber and uh, a proponent of uh, D1 Baseball. I do like those guys. And so here's what they have today. They have Mississippi State as RPI 8, 8th in the RPI. Now, Dave Murray is keeping up with the official NCAA RPI, and there's always a little bit of variance. And I don't know if they have updated uh, tonight. Dave will have an article up tomorrow if and when they do. So the teams ahead of us that we're kind of watching here, Texas Tech, they lose tonight. Arizona, not exactly sure what Arizona did, but uh, I think they're safely ahead of us. TCU at the 5 RPI, they lose. Vanderbilt wins. Fairfield is number three in the RPI. They cannot host. Okay, so that eliminates them. And then, of course, Texas is uh, two in the RPI, which I, I, I would love to see the math on that because the Big 12 is a joke. But I think what you can expect now, you know, so since State is eight and Fairfield is basically – not a factor, you're seven in the RPI. And then all of a sudden, the team right above you, Texas Tech, has lost a ball game. And so I think there is a realistic possibility that State could move up to possibly the the number six national seed, depending on how some things play out. One of the things that helps us is that, uh, you know, Alabama is a team that, uh, you know, is, is a top 25, top 30 RPI around the country. And so we're going to gain some points here. We're not going to see, you know, some things kind of fall apart on us uh, with the RPI. We just simply need to keep winning. The big question everybody always has is, Steve, what do we need to do to guarantee we get a top eight? Well, number one, you keep winning. But I think, you know, what's in front of us first and foremost, I think if we take two of three, we're kind of leaving it up to chance. I think State really needs to sweep this week. I think if we sweep, I think no matter what happens at Hoover, I think we're okay. I think we kind of negate any negativity that happens in Hoover. I think if we lose two out of three and then we go to Hoover and have a bad weekend, then all of a sudden I think that uh, I think you're going to drop out of the top eight national discussion. I think it's I think it's nip and tuck right now. I think you remove most, if not all, doubt by sweeping Alabama. 
And that's going to be difficult to do. It's tough to sweep, especially on the road. But I think Alabama's pitching has been uh, so up and down that, uh, you know, we've got a real, a real chance to do it. Of course, I, again, I, it's possible you win two and then maybe win a game in Hoover. Maybe win two games in Hoover. I think, I think if, you, if you win two in Hoover, I think it pretty much locks it up because you know there's going to be good RPI teams. So we're in a good position. Of course, we have made life a lot more interesting for ourselves because of the fact that we lost the series against Mizzou. And I don't want to keep belaboring that point because the pity, the time for the pity party is over, okay? So, but that's where it sits with me. And I think, again, with more of these teams around us, like the Big 12 dropping games, that gives us a little more margin for error. And not to mention, when you get at the end of the day and you begin to look at this, there's 10 SEC series, and let's say State has won seven of the 10, and two of the three that you lose are two of the teams in the you know, top of the college baseball RPI. And so I think State is in a good position, but we can't take anything for granted. We can't just say, okay, we got to go win the series. No, we have to go win them all. we got to go win them all. Because here's the deal. You finish 20 and 10 in the SEC, you're a top eight national seed. You're 20 and 10, finishing in the top four, or potentially top three in the top RPI baseball conference in America, you're going to be a top eight national seed. No matter what your Ole Miss friends tell you, no matter what your Arkansas friends tell you, if we're 20 and 10 in the SEC, we're going to be a top eight national seed. We might be at 19 and 11, but why leave it to chance, right? Let's just go ahead and get this thing finished up here, take care of business. And I think, we, I think in many ways we kind of withstood Alabama's best shot. But, again, we've got to come out and be ready to roll. Because if, let's say State sweeps this weekend. That makes us 40 and 13 and 20 and 10 in the SEC. The, I, I don't know the numbers on it. I haven't done the research. And maybe I'll do that next week for Monday show. I don't recall that there's ever been a 20-win team in the SEC that wasn't a top eight national seed. Not since they've had them. There may have been one or two exceptions. But there are a lot of years 20 and 10 wins a league. And so I'll go back and double-check that. That'll be a little weekend project for me that I can work out on Sunday since we're not going to have a ball game Sunday. And then I'll give you guys the results on Monday. We'll just we'll kind of talk about what a 20 and 10 record means, and hopefully that's where state is. How about that? Let's talk a little recruiting. Thanks to our good friends at Portico. Listen, many of you have been putting it off. You've been dreaming about it and say, one day, one day we're going to do this. Well, you know, stop doing it. None of us are getting any younger. There's a lot to consider in life. And I think living in start was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I, I love being here. I love being able to go to all my favorite places. I love the fact that everybody wears maroon. You know what I'm saying? I just feel like I'm among my people. And so you need to come up here and be with us too. And, you know, maybe it's a weekend deal for you. Maybe you're like, you know what, Steve, I'm just not at a point in my life that I can um, make the big move and move everybody up there. Maybe the kids aren't going to graduate for a couple years. Maybe you got to do it in stages. Maybe you go ahead and buy the house and it becomes kind of your weekend getaway. Maybe it's your vacation home. Maybe it's an investment property for now. Maybe you Airbnb that thing out ballgame weekends and it pays the notes for itself. But you're going to want to be at Portico. It's so conveniently located just over a mile from campus. You come off 82, you turn on the 12 like headed to Duty Noble. It's the very first right. The very first right. That's how close you are to campus. And so you're not out there. You're not, it's not on Fraternity Row. 
It's not out there among a bunch of apartment dwellers, and I'm not being critical of those people. I'm just saying this is going to be a residential development. It's, you're going to be around other people. It's going to be a lot of you know, primary residents. It's going to be a lot of single-family dwellings out there, and you're going to be happy you're there. You're going to have that great walking trail. And, and listen, there's only a couple of houses left in phase one, so you need to make a move today. Listen, Brooks Bryan's my friend. He's your friend, too. He's a friend of Mississippi State. He's a friend of Starkville. And Brooks is doing a lot to kind of improve Starkville as best he can. Give Brooks a call today to get more information about Portico. 601-416-8075. No need to pause the phone. I got you right here again. 601-416-8075. And you know what? If, you, if you've missed the number, message me. I'm happy to provide it to you. Because I want good neighbors up here. I do. Make Portico your next move. Okay, so first thing I want to talk about recruiting-wise is, um, so we've talked about Trent Singleton on the show several times. I, I gave you guys a bit of a scouting report on Wednesday's show. Uh, he is set to make his announcement at noon on Sunday. I fully expect him to be a Mississippi State Bulldog. I have expected that since the day Mississippi State offered him. Really like Trent Singleton. He is going to start his college career at safety. And I think initially, maybe he was targeted as a corner. But I think when you begin to kind of look at his growth potential, even if he st- stuck at corner initially, he's going to grow into a safety once he gets into Tyson Brown's strength and conditioning program. I really like him. I think he is one of the most dynamic players uh, in the state of Mississippi. I do think he's undervalued at an 85, and hopefully we'll get some senior film but you know, most of his film is quarterback film now, and so a lot of times you've got those guys that are athletes playing quarterback, and it's difficult uh, to kind of get a true evaluation on them as a defensive player. Uh, but I really like him. I really, really do, and I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, in camp here in a couple weeks. Uh, that's also going to be a baseball regional weekend. It's going to be awfully busy for us, but uh, trust me, we'll have you covered like nobody's business. So I think Trent will be the last commitment until we get into camp. And there's no need to push right now, too, when you're going to get a chance to see those guys in a couple weeks. All right, so let me let me break a couple other things down for you, too. You know, we've talked about these two blue shirts. So, well, Steve, what are you talking about? Well, you recall Mississippi State had a couple of guys that committed and didn't sign back in February. Remember that? So the thinking was, is okay, we've got to go out and get a couple of DBs from a transfer portal. Well, we got Jalen Green. And at the end of the day, barring something totally unforeseen in the next day or two, that's going to be the only DB we add from the transfer portal. Now, we have been very busy in the transfer portal. Of course, you got Randy Charlton, you got Makai Polk, Jalen Green are already here, and you got Jameer Calvin's a guy that will join the team this summer. And then you've got three guys that are essentially walk-ons that have come on too. And so you've added some reinforcements. But I think we're at the point now – this late in the recruiting process that you're kind of reaching the point of diminishing returns because there are a lot of guys out there that maybe maybe are G5 guys that are getting Power 5 offers because people simply have to have them. And so if we can't find a guy that can help us be a better football team this year, we are better served not offering that guy a scholarship. And listen, there were some guys that we were recruiting out of transfer portal that were a bit of a reach. And many of them are one-year guys. And you know how it is. Even with the best junior college players, sometimes it takes, you know, it takes half a year to kind of figure it out, to be able to kind of match the intensity and the speed of the game in a Southeastern Conference. And so you're taking a real gamble going and getting a guy from a lower classification 
and throwing him to the wolves of the SEC when he's got one year of eligibility left and then expecting it to work out. Uh, you're, you're really kind of setting yourself up for some message board and some social media posts about, man, what a waste of a scholarship. And I hate to read that kind of stuff, but that's kind of what the situation looks like halfway through the year when your big, you know, transfer portal guys playing special teams because he just can't get out there and run with SEC athletes yet. So what I expect to happen here in the coming days is that Mississippi State will go ahead and sign William Hardrick, defensive back out of Adamsville, Alabama, and Katravian Hargrove, the four-star running back from Ruston. I think we'll go ahead and get that settled. And then the 2021 class will be complete. There were two grants left over. I think we give them to those guys, and then we're done. So, Steve, what about Jameer Calvin? Well, the first thing that I'll say is Jameer just got here. Jameer just joined. You know, Hargrove and those guys have been kind of waiting around because they were being team players and said, hey, listen, we've got to go out and get a couple DBs that can help us. Well, we weren't able to get them, so we're going to go ahead and sign you. So then you can't come back and be disingenuous and say, well, you know, we're going to take this kid. So, from what I understand, Jameer Calvin's going to go ahead and report this summer, and he'll sign later this summer. And if he signs in August, which is what I would expect to happen, then he would count towards 2022. Now, the original plan, having Hargrove and Hardrick sign in August, would have taken up two spots in 2022. So, basically, we're going to get another spot back. So, we'll have 13 more spots to work with rather than 12. So we talked about that on the show last week. So those blue shirts carry over, it, it limits our ability in 2022. So now there's a spot we weren't expected to have available that we're going to have. And so I think this is absolutely the right decision, and I commend these young men for hanging in here with Mississippi State. It says a lot about uh, their love for Mississippi State. It also shows a good job by your recruiting staff to kind of keep those guys in a boat. There were a lot of teams that reached out. I know to Katravian Hargrove, I've had multiple people tell me that there were some other schools that said, hey, we'll go ahead and put you on scholarship right now. Just come on and go. You can report at the end of the month. And so I think Mississippi State can go ahead and do that now too. And so that's being handled. And so it's a win-win all the way around. You get those guys in, and then you don't go waste a grant on a guy that's not going to help you just to get numbers in a position. And I think this is also a byproduct of spring practice. I think you get through spring practice and you see DeCamryon and Richardson come on. You see Asias Furge have a pretty decent camp. You see the safeties really progress. And then you've got Jalen Green, a guy that can play both if necessary. You can put him out there at corner. He can be another two deeper for you. Because you're wanting to put your best five DBs out there. I think Jalen Green's going to prove to be one of those guys. And so when you begin to, to kind of factor that in, say, so you know what, we got through spring and you know what, we think we're going to be pretty good in the secondary. And so maybe let's save that spot rather than just go spend it on another DB. Maybe we'll save that because there's going to be players at the end of the recruiting process next year we're really going to want. And we're going to, it'd be great to have an extra grant to work with. So I think it makes perfect sense. If you can't get a difference maker out of the portal, you're better off just kind of going fish. That's just my honest opinion. I mean, it's one thing if you have, uh, you know, some depth concerns and you got to go out and get a guy, but – you know, the, the thing we kept banging our heads up against is you got All-American Emmanuel Forbes on one side and then All-American Martin Emerson on the other. And so all these corners were like, hey, coach, that's great. Uh, where am I going to play? I'm like, oh, well, we think you can come in here and, and beat this guy out. And the guys go watch film and they're like, nah, I don't know about that, you know. 
And so you can say, well, you know, Steve, they got to recruit better. You know, here's the deal, too. When you are a guy that's leaving one school for another and you're looking for immediate playing time and you see that they have a freshman and a sophomore starting and playing at All-American level, you're not going there. You're just not. Why would you take your chances? Because you know that's what Auburn's saying. Auburn's saying, listen, I'm, listen, we're wide open at corner. You know, we got one guy that's back from last year, and so we got to go get two or three guys to build a two deep. You know, so you got a chance to come in here and start, and at the very least be a two deeper. We're basically telling people, hey, you're going to come in here and be a backup. Now, that's not our pitch, but when they go do their research and their due diligence about our school, they're going to realize, you know what, I'm not going to start at Mississippi State. And so – Defensive back recruiting for 2021 has been a real adventure. It's been much better in 2022. And I think maybe that shows that we're learning a little bit. But uh, it also helps, too, that we had the benefit of having some good defensive backs instead of Mississippi this year, and we've done real well over in Montgomery. But I, I like the look of this 2022 class, and I think, you know, the four stars along the defensive line are what's going to kind of propel this class forward. I think last time I looked, we're 13th nationally. That's not going to hold, but it's a good spot right now. And I think, you, you again, I think this ends up being a top 20 class and certainly a top 25 class. And I think a big part of that is going to be this defensive line class that we're about to sign. This time last year, we were all really stressed about defensive line recruiting. It ended really well for us. Jeff Phelps did a really good job down the stretch, and a lot of people said, okay, I'm not going to complain. We did really good. You know, you go out and get Deontay Anderson, an All-American. You go out and get Ty Cooper, the best defensive end in the state of Mississippi. You go out and get Randy Charlton, and all of a sudden you're thinking, hey, you know, this is okay. Trivion Williams is a developmental guy, but you could afford to take that guy when you, when you look at the other pieces around you. And I think a lot of people say, you know what? All is well that ends well. Because it doesn't matter who you've got committed in May. It matters who you have signed in December. And that's when State really thrives. State did a great job uh, getting the class closed out. And now when you look at the fact that we've got so many great defensive linemen in the state of Mississippi, State's going to be able to compound that and begin to kind of stack classes of that personnel group. So I'm excited about that. And, again, I, I like R.J. Moss. I think that he is a guy that's an absolute terror. I've got a good friend that's a coach down there that keeps me updated on him regularly and says he had, has had a tremendous spring. So he's really taken a jump as a worker, taken a jump as a leader. Uh, you know, he's measuring in just around 6'4". And that's, that's one of those things, too. I think one of the reasons he's probably not already committed is uh, it got out that he was like 6'2 at a camp. And, you know, I – Listen, I've run so many of these camps. I know sometimes uh, you get somebody that bends the tape measure a little bit one way or another. But my people tell me he's 6'3 and a half. And so I think that's really the main thing. Come to campus, get measured in by our people, go out there and have a good day, and I think he's a bulldog. I think he favors Mississippi State. I think it's just a matter of kind of getting that technicality cleaned up and he's good to go. You look at Xavier Harris, this is a guy, too, that's got offers from some of the best programs in the Southeastern Conference, but Mississippi State's in a good position with him. Not over by any stretch of imagination. But that's another guy that's got four stars next to his name, Don Terry Russell. And, and I laugh when I see people that uh, say, well, you know, he's really light. And I say, yes, yeah, so was Montez Sweat. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you Don Terry Russell's going to be anywhere close to the player Montez Sweat was. I'm not going to say that. But – you go out and you get those long, lean defensive ends. Deontay Anderson's another one like that too. Long, lean guys, and you put them in the strength and conditioning program, and then all of a sudden they turn into absolute monsters with an incredible wingspan. you got to have some faith in your strength and conditioning people. Dante Russell will be absolutely fine. And that's, again, that's another guy with four stars next to his name. 
I'm hearing that he may make a decision sometime here in the next uh, four to six weeks. It's not sure about that, but I do think an early decision favors Mississippi State. Of course, his brother, Deontay Russell, here at Mississippi State, uh, having a really good experience. And so I think you look at those guys, you feel good about that. Uh, maybe you get Malachi Madison, and you, all of a sudden you think, man, this is a tremendous defensive line class. Go out and get three four-stars and a national level three-star. I think you can feel really good about uh, the class and feel good about the direction of that, that personnel group. And so – a lot of those concerns about Jeff Phelps' recruiting ability all of a sudden would appear to be unfounded. But you've got to capitalize on it. You absolutely have to capitalize on it. And I think you, until you've been here and recruited for a couple of recruiting cycles, you don't understand how intense that the, the recruiting efforts are. I mean, it's just – it's one of those things – and this is – I give all most people some credit for this. It's like they're so obsessed with recruiting, you know, they're doing something big every day. And so I think in many respects we're beginning to kind of match that effort you know, we're not getting out-recruited on that end of it, whether it be with the graphics and, you know, all the other the messaging and that sort of stuff. I think all that's being handled. I think at the end of the day, though, there are going to be some Mississippi State kids. There are going to be some Ole Miss kids. Uh, they're not going to be able to get our kids, and we're not going to be able to get their kids. But the difference in winning the in-state recruiting battle is with those swing kids. There are a lot of kids that don't, that don't grow up with an allegiance to either school, and so it's about selling your situation. That's, you know, when all things are considered even. But uh, you understand my point. And so I think there is enough to go around this year. I think it's one of those years, too, where there is so much talent in this state. I think there is a lot of untapped and unranked and unevaluated talent that is going to emerge during the camps. That excites me. It also kind of makes me sad because I think, you know, how do we miss on this kid? But then you give yourself a bit of a break because we were kind of limited last year on what high school games we could go to and there were some uh, programs out there that wouldn't let you come to the school, and rightfully so. I'm not, I'm not being defensive about that at all. But I'm eager to see some of these guys come to camp, number one, to watch how they've grown, but also, two to see these hidden gems, man. That's the thing that excites me. He's like, man, how in the world – like, I remember a few years ago we had some kids at Hazelhurst. Like, how in the world do we miss these guys? How do we miss these kids at Port Gibson? You know? So, I'm excited to see them, and I'm excited to get back and have a sense of normalcy with the camps. And, of course, we'll have – that's one thing about us having a huge staff – as you know, for those of us who have to go cover baseball, we will, and then we'll have some other people that can go cover the recruiting aspect of things. Uh, but the bottom line is is that there's going to be a lot for everybody to cover, and there's going to be a lot of content available over on Gene's page. Before I get out of here, I would be remiss if I didn't thank all of you that have already pre-ordered Blooms of Oleander. I get messages regularly from people to say, hey, Steve, I just ordered a book. It will be released on June the 7th, and that will be here before you know it. You can order today at Amazon.com barnesandnoble.com, booksamagan.com. You can go right now today and put in Steve Robertson, Blooms of Oleander. You can order it. They'll go ahead and take care of you, and then the, your book will be shipped on or around June 7th. Handled, done, over, finished. If you want a signed copy, contact Bookmart Cafe uh, here in Starkville. Miss Carolyn will take your order, put your name on the list, and we'll get you rolling. I also heard from uh, the lovely Hillary from Lemuria Books. They've already ordered the books and uh, going to be doing some signings with them this summer. We'll do a Saturday signing once Mississippi State baseball is ended. And I told you guys, I'm not going to tour extensively for this one. And, of course, you know, when we do the fall tour, of course, I'll be able to sign them for you then. But I'm not going to do a ton of dates this summer. At least I'm not planning to right now. We'll do some things locally. We are going to have a book release party downtown at Book Martin Cafe. And so maybe if you're waiting for that, you can come by and you can meet me and we can talk about the book or whatever. So all that's going to take place. But at least once a week, somebody messages me and say, hey, Steve, listen, 
Uh, I need to get my mom one of your books. Our Father's Day is coming up. Uh, so listen, Father's Day is a wonderful time to treat your dad to some reading material. Go to alphadogsthebook.com and you can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs for all the dads on your list. Your dad, uh, maybe your adopted dad, maybe your stepdad, maybe the guy you wanted to be your dad. Get everybody one of those. All the dads in your life, order them the books. I'm happy to sign them to whoever you want. It's a great Father's Day gift and uh, looking forward to Father's Day myself. I always enjoy that time. And uh, I don't even need my kids to give me anything. I just want them to be around. You know what I'm saying? But uh, but if they do, I'm always very grateful and very gracious for all that. So go check it out today. And, again, if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. Order yourself uh, some Stark Villains wear. Wear it around town. You'll be the coolest kids in town. Be back with you guys on Monday, hopefully talking about Mississippi State, wrapping up a top-four spot in the SEC tournament and hopefully talking about a sweep against the University of Alabama. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.